we're going to get into the message for this evening. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for giving me a safe trip out here to Loma Linda today. And I thank you that we can meet together this evening during these Holy Sabbath hours. And I just pray that you would place your spirit upon me and give me the words to speak that will not just be another nice message, but that it will actually truly touch each of our hearts as we prepare for the soon coming of Jesus. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the title of the message this evening is Justification by Faith for Our Time. You know, justification by faith is a topic that never grows old when you keep digging into it. And one of the reasons why I am so interested in digging into this topic is because of its close relationship, its integral relationship to the third angel's message. And especially with the times that we're living in now, the third angel's message is the message that we should be hearing in Seventh-day Adventist churches and pulpits as we prepare for the coming of Jesus. And so this is what I'm going to be focusing on tonight. I'm going to start with a familiar statement from Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, by Ellen White. And the statement says, Several have written to me, inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. So if justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, I want to know what it is. And the quote goes on to say, the prophet declares, and now Ellen White quotes Revelation 18, starting in verse 1, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message, and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in demonstration of the Spirit. So here's something that I can take away from the statement. Number one, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. Number two, when justification by faith is experienced, the loud cry will be given because the latter rain will be poured out. So if you want to experience the outpouring of the latter rain... And if you want to be part of the loud cry experience, justification by faith is absolutely essential. It's not just a nice optional thing. Justification by faith is at the heart of the third angel's message. And justification by faith will be experienced by those who give the loud cry message. And Ellen White says that brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in demonstration of the Spirit. Now I'm going to say something and I'm going to prove this as we go through this presentation this evening. One of the reasons why I believe that the latter rain has not been experienced and the reason why the loud cry has not been given is because justification by faith itself is not understood and it's not experienced. And a lot of times when justification by faith is preached, only part of justification is taught. Therefore, God's people aren't really understanding justification by faith and they're not really experiencing it. And so in order for us to experience the latter rain and the loud cry and to be part of the closing work, we not 
we don't want to just know about justification by faith. We want to experience. But in order to experience something, you have to know what it is. Now, this next statement is also familiar. This is Testimonies to Ministers 91. So I'm giving you a couple of Ellen White statements to warm up, but then we're going to open up the Bible and look at some passages of Scripture. This is Testimonies to Ministers, page 91. The Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. So here's this most precious message, and it presented justification through faith. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Now here is one of the distinctions that you see with justification by faith as defined by God's servant as a most precious message, and that is that those who receive the righteousness of Christ will demonstrate in their lives obedience to all the commandments. And one of the reasons why justification by faith is misunderstood many times in Adventism today is that it's often taught that you can experience justification while living a disobedient life. Now, it's important, though, to keep our eyes on Jesus as we talk about justification. Listen to the rest of the statement. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. All power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. So here's two different statements. One is from Review and Herald, April 1, 1890. The other is from Testimonies to Ministers, page 91, that connects justification by faith with the loud cry message of Revelation 18 and the outpouring of the latter rain. And the latter rain is poured out on God's people who experience justification by faith. And when I look in the Bible in Acts chapter 5, it says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. So one of the challenges that we have, number one, do we believe that justification by faith leads to obedience? That's point number one. And point number two, if we believe that, are we experiencing that? Because those are two key points that will lead to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at a few Bible passages as we define justification by faith a little bit further. Starting in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to be counted righteous in the Bible means to be justified. You are declared righteous, you're counted righteous, you're impu- you have righteousness imputed to you. That's what Romans chapter 4, verse 3 means. So Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. That's justification by faith. Now notice what verse 4 says. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now this has sometimes been a problem in Adventism, where Adventists feel like, man, I've been so bad in the past, I'm going to have to really work hard to make up for what I've done before God will accept me. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, that's like you're paying off a debt. But you can't pay off the debt. 
You never can. You can't work to pay off the debt of the sins of your past. You have to accept by faith the grace that God is offering to you when he offers forgiveness to you. Now, I realize this seems pretty basic, but you know how many Adventists struggle with the idea that God just takes care of your record and you don't have to like work really hard to make up for what's happened. Now, we may say, oh, I wouldn't do that, but then we do that. Going on in verse 5, it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So again, imputed righteousness. That's justification by faith. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, what Paul is describing here is the experience of forgiveness. And listen, if we didn't have the forgiving grace of God, we would all be doomed to eternal loss. Because the Bible makes it very clear in the chapter before that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so there's nothing that any of us can do to undo the fact that we've all sinned. The only thing that can undo that is the blood of Jesus. And by faith, we accept the grace and the rich free gift that he's offering to us by offering that forgiving grace to us. That's a key element of justification by faith. We accept the justifying grace, the forgiving grace of God. Romans 3.24 says that we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. You don't have to crawl up the stairs in Rome to get the justification. The just shall live by faith. But it takes faith to believe that God can forgive someone as sinful as you. Or as me. Because I know what I'm like disconnected from God. You know what you're like disconnected from God. You know, and here's the thing, who you really are isn't what you look like when you show up here. Who you are is what you think about when nobody else knows what you're thinking about. How you think about other people. What you're thinking in your mind about that person that gets on your nerves. What you're thinking about when someone walks past you. And for men, like if a woman walks past you, where does your mind go? Women, you may have different things that you think about when someone goes past you, whatever it may be. But who you are is the way you think right here when nobody knows. And so sometimes the devil wants us to think, man, you're really bad. (laughs) There's no way that God could ever forgive such a rotten, filthy mind like yours. And that's where faith comes in, where we believe that God will forgive the way we've been in the past. Ellen White has a statement, Faith and Works, page 103. Very clear. Pardon and justification are one and the same thing. Now, pardon is forgiveness. So, forgiveness is at the very heart of justification by faith. 
Now, remember, I read these two statements at the beginning of the presentation about how justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity and how this leads to the experience of the latter rain and the loud cry and it's going to be attended with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a large measure. And so what I'm doing now is I'm laying the building blocks to say, okay, what is it about justification by faith? that will lead to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the latter reign so that God's people will illuminate by God's grace the earth with the glory of God's character of his righteousness so that the people of the world will say that's what God's character looks like. Well, forgiveness is part of it. So, so clearly, pardon and justification are one and the same thing. Through faith, the believer passes from the position of a rebel, a child of sin and Satan, to the position of a loyal subject of Christ Jesus, not because of an inherent goodness, but because Christ receives him as his child by adoption. So by faith, we believe that we go from being like little rebels, children of sin and of Satan. You know, I have four girls, just a little... Correction to the introduction, I have four girls, not three. And it's interesting how children are and how they can be little rebels when they feel like it. And it reminds me of like, oh man, I used to be like that when I was a kid. But you know, God changes us. We pass from being rebels, children of sin and Satan, to the position of a loyal subject of Christ Jesus. That's what pardon does for us. Now, another familiar Bible verse that we know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, notice that there is a condition to being forgiven. We're not just automatically forgiven, according to what the Bible says. There is a condition. And the condition says, if we confess our sins. To confess our sins means that we're truly sorry for the sins that we've committed. And again, you know, I've learned a lot about... God's grace by being a parent. You know how it is when you tell your kid, tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) And we do that too. We're more sophisticated about it. But true confession means that we really are sorry for what we did. And we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I really am sorry for how this hurt you. So, justification, forgiveness, it is a rich, free gift, but the condition for receiving it means that we confess our sins. Now, I realize this is basic, but this is all part, I'm building to where we're headed here, this is all part of how we experience justification by faith. We confess our sins. You know, and it's important as well, justification by faith. Do you really believe that you have been forgiven? Now, a lot of Adventists walk around really wondering if they've been forgiven for the sins of their past, and that's not faith. And the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We really need to believe by faith that our sins are forgiven. 
And God is gracious and good. He will forgive our sins and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will give us that rich free gift of forgiveness. But do you really believe that you have been forgiven? And the key point to this is, you know, a lot of times we do talk about victory over sin. But if we are going to truly experience victory over sin, we must believe that God has forgiven the sins of our past first. And if we believe that we've been forgiven, now we see what God's grace has done for us, that He's forgiven such terrible sins from our past. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, so it's not like any of us can say, well, I'm not that bad. Look, nobody in their right, sane, righteous mind, when we stand on the sea of glass, is going to be saying to the onlooking universe, did you see what we did to get here? Man, we were awesome. 144,000 living through the last days of Earth's history. Did you see us? No. The 144,000 are going to experience justification by faith where we know how bad we've been. And by faith we see what God's grace does to forgive us when we don't deserve it. And when we experience that, then we begin to believe that God can actually help me to overcome the sins that so easily beset me. You know, like that bad attitude when your kid gets on your nerve or your spouse gets on your nerves or the person at work gets on your nerves or whatever else it may be. We all have our sins that so easily beset us. When we see that God is such a powerful God of grace to forgive us for the sins of our past, now we see that He can work on the sins that so easily beset me so that He can help me and deliver me and cleanse me so that I don't keep falling into those same pits. You won't experience victory if you don't experience the forgiving grace of God. And so when we get to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? Are you at peace with Him today? If you're at peace with God, you're justified by faith and you're ready to meet Jesus in the kingdom. You know, Psalms 86 verse 5 says, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. And that's a key biblical teaching that God is ready to forgive us for our sins. He doesn't automatically forgive us if we don't confess our sins. The Bible teaches that we must confess our sins. But God is in a state of readiness to forgive us. But what about us? You know, we're talking about the experience of justification by faith. Are you ready to forgive? Or are you someone that's pretty good at holding grudges? You know, I'll I'll speak for myself. Um, I remember going through some bad relationship experiences in college. And, you know one year later would come around and be like, this was the day that she did this. And this was the time of the day that she said that. That's not being forgiving. God is good and ready to forgive. Are you ready to forgive those who 
have hurt you. And listen, one of the realities of the world that we live in is that people will hurt you. Guaranteed. It's an unavoidable reality of the world that we live in. It would be nice if everybody was considerate to me as I am to them, hopefully. But that's not how life works. You know, Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, it takes God's grace to forgive, and it takes faith to forgive people. You know, it's not that hard for me to forgive my wife. I mean, I love her very much. And inevitably, there's going to be times that we will offend each other. And I'm thankful that she's so forgiving towards me. And and by God's grace, I try to be forgiving to her as well. You know, or if there's a minor issue with my child, one of my girls. You know, but here's the thing. And Joelle and I have spoken at family meetings um, in the last few years. Man, some of our families are having trouble even with that. Like, we have husbands and wives that can't forgive each other over things that shouldn't be that big of a deal, but they turn into big deals because we have these pride issues and you said this to me and you should have known that this was a day that I was having a tough time and now you said this to me when I was like that and how could you do this to me when I was feeling like this? And so then it turns into this spiral and you see this in in these homes where two, three, four, five days go by and, and there's like these attitudes and silent treatment and that kind of stuff. And that shouldn't be happening in Adventist homes. I'm sorry, it shouldn't be. If we're followers of the Lord, that's not going to happen. We should be putting those things behind us by the end of the day. You know, it takes God's grace to forgive, but certainly we should be able to forgive our spouses and our children. But listen, there are wrongs committed against us that are humanly impossible to move on from except for the grace of God. Things like your spouse walks out on you. Some of you have probably gone through that. People who have made false accusations against you. They've slandered your character and everything they've said against you is totally untrue. There's other things that could that I could mention, but those are some, you know, your spouse walks out on you and commits adultery. Someone says something falsely against you and slanders your character. And then in your mind, you're thinking, God, you would expect me to be their next door neighbor in heaven? I don't think so. But you know what true forgiving grace looks like? And this is only by God's grace that you could even think in this way. But the spouse that walked out on you, the person that slandered your character, or whatever else it may be, when God's grace touches your heart, when you see how God has forgiven you, your heart can be touched to say, Lord, I pray that you will touch their heart so that they will experience redemption for the wrong that they've done to me. And I forgive them. And I pray that we'll be neighbors in heaven. That's what forgiving grace looks like. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's nice and great here on this earth. Sometimes you have to create boundaries 
if there's been abuse or other things where things have taken place, but you can still forgive that person. You don't have to go around and be a bitter, angry person for the rest of your life for something that somebody has done to you. That was truly wrong and truly hurtful, and it, it takes God's grace to truly forgive that person. But this is what justification by faith in, on an experiential level looks like. You know, if we just simply say, oh, justification by faith means that God has forgiven me for what I've done, but I'm still going to be mad at the people who've hurt me. I mean, God can forgive me for the, the, the things I've done to hurt Him, but I can be bitter towards the people that have wronged me. That's not justification by faith on an experiential level. On an experiential level... It takes the miracle of God, his, the miraculous grace of God, to forgive the people that have hurt us. And, you know, I've been gone long enough from Advent Hope. I mean, I'm looking out and I see a lot of familiar faces, but I see some people that I don't know. I, I can almost guarantee you that there's somebody that's sitting here tonight that needs to hear what I'm saying right now. I can guarantee you that because of the world we live in. So, we experience justification by faith when we forgive as God forgives. Did you hear that? We experience justification by faith when we forgive as God forgives. And that's only the miraculous grace of God. So, this is more than just a legal transaction where God says, I declare you to be righteous, and then we continue to live a life of sin. No, we experience justification by faith when we forgive as God forgives. And that shows evidence that the character of God is taking over our heart and our minds. Now notice the statement from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 114. God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which He sets us free from condemnation. It is not only forgiveness for sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart. So notice, God, when He forgives us, it's not merely a judicial act where He says, you're free from condemnation. It's Yes, it's forgiveness of sin. Yes, it's a judicial act. But it's also where God reclaims us from sin so that our hearts become united with Christ's so that the outflow of redeeming love of God transforms our hearts. Here's another familiar statement, Faith and Works, page 100. But while God can be just and yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. And in order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active living faith that works by love and purifies the soul. You know why sanctification is the work of a lifetime? Because sanctification is a daily maintaining of justification by faith. It's a daily surrender to the Lord. And yes, there's growth in grace, but people have used that statement, oh, sanctification is the work of a lifetime, and that's why I haven't reached where I need to be. That's why I still lose my temper eight times a week, or whatever it is. No, 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 that's not what that statement means. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime because every day is a new day to have an entire surrender of the heart to the Lord. 
This is the third angel's message in verity. So when Ellen White says, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered it as the third angel's message in verity, and then she describes the loud cry of Revelation 18. This is what she's describing. She, Revelation 18 is describing the experience of God's people when the latter rain is poured out, and the glory of God's character illuminates the earth so that people not only hear about the third angel's message, they see it in demonstration because God's people have become like him in character. And the reason why they have become like him in character is because they've experienced justification by faith. And what is justification by faith? It means that God's people have truly experienced forgiveness of sin. They believe by faith that their sins are forgiven, and they live like their sins are forgiven. And not only that, they have learned by experience to be surrendered to the Lord so that they gain victory over sin every day. And not only that, they are forgiving like God is forgiving. Can you imagine when the latter rain is poured out and the loud cry is going out? There's people going down the street giving the loud cry and they're knocking. Ellen White says in Great Controversy around 614 that servants of God with their faces lighted up will hasten from place to place to give the message. And you're going from door to door and you knock on the door and you run into someone who hurt you and they're like, oh, I'm not going to tell you about the grace of God. You think that's going to happen during the loud cry? So why is it okay to treat people like that now? This is the third angel's message in verity. God's people will be a forgiving people. They won't be grudge-holding people. You know, I was at a church one time where there was a vote about a a building issue, about, um, I won't say exactly how it is, because maybe someone from that church might listen to this and figure out what I was talking about. But there was a disagreement somewhere at some time, and it's been a long time ago now, about how to expand the church. And when I got there, people were were still mad about it 20 years later. 20 years later. And if it came up at the church board meeting, all you had to do was say one or two words and you'd get this explosion. Shouldn't be like that. Now I want to take this to to an end time application and I want you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 35 through 39. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. That's the same word as Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come and will not tarry. So here is a command from the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Hebrews, of what God's people will be living like before Jesus comes back. There's need for patience. There's need for endurance, for doing the will of God. Because in yet a little while, he that shall come, will come and will not delay. Verse 38 says, Now, Now the just shall live by faith. So those who are waiting for the coming of Jesus are the just or the righteous who are living by faith, who are having patience or endurance. 
Romans 1 verses 16 and 17 describes this experience very clearly as well, where Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the gospel is so powerful because the just or the righteous live by faith, and the righteous who live by faith are the revelation revelation of the righteousness of God. So those who experience justification by faith are the revelation of the righteousness of God because they have experienced the power of the gospel. And those who experience the power of the gospel, who are the righteous who live by faith, are the ones who will receive the outpouring of the latter rain and give the loud cry message where the righteousness of God is revealed to the world in Revelation 18.1. Romans 1.16 and 17 is basically describing Revelation 18.1. The just shall live by faith. And what's happened in Adventism in the last 50 years is that we have basically destroyed the power of the gospel by saying that justification by faith means that God has forgiven us, he's declared us to be righteous, we have a legal transaction where God says we're righteous even though we continue to live unrighteous lives. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The Greek word for just is dikaios, which means righteous or just. And the righteous who live by faith have experienced the power of the gospel because they believe or they have faith. And when they have faith to believe in the power of the gospel, that word power is dunamis, then the righteousness of God is revealed in their lives. And there's a few... Interesting little points about being righteous or just. Matthew, in the New Testament, we have at least three examples of this word, dikaios, being used to describe Jesus Christ. Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife says, have nothing to do with this just man, dikaios. Jesus was just or righteous. The just shall live by faith. Acts 3, 14, Peter says, you denied the holy one and the just. The same word, dikaios. The just shall live by faith, the way Jesus lived. Acts 7.52, Stephen says they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have now of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Again, Jesus is righteous or just. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous who live by faith live the righteous life of Jesus by faith. That's justification by faith. It means that you've been forgiven for the sins of your past. Now you're fully surrendered to the Lord. You believe that you're forgiven, you believe that God will empower you to live a righteous life by faith, and you are forgiving towards the people who have hurt you the way God is forgiving towards us as we have hurt Him. The third angel's message is a description of the righteous who are like Jesus, who live by faith. This experience produces the loud cry under the power of the latter rain. You know, there's one last little angle towards justification by faith that I want to take you to, and that's found in Habakkuk chapter 2 in the Old Testament. And Paul actually didn't come up with the idea of justification by faith on his own. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired him to refer to it in Romans 1, in Galatians, and also in the book of Hebrews. But we go to the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk, and 
In Habakkuk chapter 1, this is an Old Testament prophecy saying that the Chaldeans are on their way to overrun God's people, or the Babylonians are about to overrun God's people. Now, as end-time Seventh-day Adventists, this should get our prophetic antennas up, because we are facing an end-time Babylon that is trying to overrun God's people so that they will receive the mark of the beast. So pay attention to what happens here. So the Chaldeans in chapter 1 are about to overrun God's people. And so in chapter 2, starting in verse 1 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So here's what God is saying to Habakkuk. A message of reproof is coming. You're going to be on this watchtower. You're the watchman. And I'm going to send you a message of reproof. And in order order for you to avoid being overrun by the Babylonians, you must receive this message of reproof. Now, how many of you like being reproved? You know, I remember when I was in medical school, it was it kind of was just par for the course. You hit third year and you, you hit the rounds and you're, you're just like dreading when the attending is going to call you out and say, no, that's not what we do for the workup. And, no, that's not the medicine we use here. No, that's not the test that we order. No, that's not the diagnosis. And you're just always kind of walking on edge and you're trying to read up and study and be on top of things so that when the attending calls upon you, you know the right answer, right? You know, those of you who have been through that. And you could apply it to other things. I'll give you an example of what happened to me. Several years ago, um, I was speaking in Michigan at my wife's parents' church. And for those of you who don't know my father-in-law, Dr. Gerard Domstee, he's a theologian. And so he knows uh, a thing or two about the Bible, obviously. And so I was preaching away from Revelation about the Laodicean church. And somehow I had gotten it in my head through my studies that the, the Laodicean church is the worst church of the seven churches. It's the last of the seven churches. And it's the only church that receives a rebuke with no commendation. Even Thyatira receives a commendation, even though it's described as having the seed of Satan. So I'm just preaching away. And you know, most of the message was really good, and uh, as, as far as I could tell. And maybe. And then at the end, I, I went off about how Laodicea is the worst church. So a few hours later, my father-in-law come, comes up and he's like, hey, I had a question for you about your sermon. I'm like, oh no. It was like the same feeling that, like when I'm on rounds as a third-year <laughs> medical student. It's like, do you really think that Laodicea is the worst church? Now, mind you, for those of you who don't know his area of expertise, his area of expertise is church history. So here I'm talking about the history of the seven churches, and um, I kind of stepped right into it. He's like, you know, um, Thyatira is the seat of Satan, so you're going to say that the last church is worse than that? I'm like, ooh, good point. And it was, it's a great point. Yes, Laodicea is lukewarm. Yes, it's in a terrible condition. But it's not the seat of Satan. It's still God's last day church. And Jesus is standing at the door knocking saying, let me come in. But it's not the seat of Satan. We don't call the Adventist church Babylon because it's lukewarm. And I needed that reproof. It was, an, it was a necessary reproof because if I continued to go around and make that point in my sermons, it would be a theological point that was incorrect and that would confuse people. And so it was a necessary reproof that he gave to me. 
But, you know, our natural human inclination is to not to like to receive reproof, and we'll defend ourselves even if we're wrong. But here the messenger says, to Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to see how I will answer when I'm reproved by the Lord, because the Babylonians are going to overrun us as a people if we don't receive this message of reproof. So what's the message of reproof? Verses 2 and 3 say, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry or delay. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, so far not, we're not really hearing a message of reproof. But you know what that vision is talking about? That's the vision of the 2300 days and the delay that came with the 2300 days. You can read about it in early writings. So this is describing the rise of the Second Advent Movement. So there's this prophetic application that God raises up the Second Advent Movement through the 2300-day prophecy, but He's going to send a message of reproof that will be necessary for God's people to receive so that they won't be overrun by the Babylonians, so that they won't receive the mark of the beast. So what's the message of reproof? Verse 4. Behold... His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Hey, Adventism, those of you who have the 2300-day prophecy and who are defending truth for the last days, I have a message of reproof for you. Don't be like the Babylonians. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar who said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for the glory of my majesty and my kingdom? Don't you remember Belshazzar who was drinking wine out of the vessels of gold that came from the temple in Jerusalem and he was cut down? Don't you remember what happened to the proud Babylonians? Listen to Adventism. You think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you don't realize that your souls are lifted up within you and you're not upright. But the just shall live by faith. Now here's the fascinating thing. Verses 2 and 3 are talking about the the 2300-day prophecy. That's the cleansing of the sanctuary. In order for the sanctuary in heaven to be cleansed, Adventists need to experience justification by faith. Because justification by faith isn't simply a legal declaration. Justification by faith changes the heart. And it cleanses the heart. And when the heart is cleansed, then the life is changed. And as God's people are cleansed and justified, then the sanctuary in heaven is cleansed. Listen to the statement from Testimonies to Ministers, page 456. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. You know, it takes a lot of humility to forgive somebody that, that has hurt you. It takes a lot of humility to acknowledge that you're really not that good. You're actually really evil, and only by the grace of God are you anything. We kind of go around and say, I'm not that bad. God, I thank you that I'm not like the people on the other side of the railroad tracks that are doing drugs and drinking alcohol and they're out partying tonight. At least I'm not like that. 
I might have three or four people that I haven't forgiven yet, but I mean, you should see what those people are like. God, I thank you that I'm not like that. And we pray the prayer of the Pharisee, and we need to be praying the prayer of the publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of, the man, of man in the dust. Just to make myself a little bit vulnerable here. You know, it's, I'll just tell you what it's like for me to, to deal with the pride issue. You know, it, it could be easy for me to say, man, you know, I, I have it pretty good. I'm a doctor. I graduated from Loma Linda. I'm board certified. And I preach. And I preach and I see patients. And man, it's, that's not bad. It's not bad. How many people are doing what I'm doing? And, you know, if you start thinking that way, God can't use you. And if you do start thinking that way, sometimes things happen in your life where God reminds you that the glory of man is to be laid in the dust. And I can speak for myself personally in my personal life and my personal practice back in Tennessee. God has allowed things to happen to remind me that I am fully dependent on him for everything that I do. Yes, he's blessed me in many ways. Yes, I have a nice practice in Tennessee. Um, and, you know, I, I had an interesting situation come up about six weeks ago where I interviewed for the chair of the neurology department here. Thankfully, they gave it to the other guy, so I'm not coming back. But um, that was kind of a close call. But, you know, those kind of things happen where it's like, man, I'm being interviewed for chair of neurology. And you start to think, and, you know, I'm applying, I'm, I'm saying this because all of you here can identify with this in your own way. You can think about where you are and the work that you're doing and the positions that you have. And you can say, man, you know, who can do what I can do? And yes, it's true that you may have a unique gift that nobody can do quite the way that you do it. That's true. That's why God has you on this earth. But the reason why that you can do that is because God has given you that gift, not because you're so good. And justification by faith is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. I can tell you the last 12 days I've been reminded that we as human beings are frail. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 44, but man, I can't, I can't bend my wrist up. Look at that. It's completely floppy, and hopefully over the next three to six months it's going to come back. But that's the work of God of laying the glory of man in the dust. It's humbling to not be able to use my dominant right hand. Um, happened so quickly, and all of a sudden, there you are. I'm going to close with a statement from Maranatha, page 249. It says, There must be a purifying of the soul here upon the earth, in harmony with Christ's cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary where our great high priest is interceding for his people. So I want to challenge you tonight. You know, there needs to be a purifying of the soul here upon the earth so that the sanctuary in heaven can be cleansed. God is looking for a people that are going to be justified by faith. God is looking for a people who truly believe that we have been forgiven for the sins of our past and we surrender our hearts fully and completely to the Lord as we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It breaks our hearts and we say, Lord, I surrender. I'm not going to try to continue to do things my own way anymore. I see what your sacrifice has cost you and I thank you that that sacrifice 
allows me to be forgiven and now you can cleanse me and change my life. And as you have forgiven me, Lord, help me now to forgive the people that I'm not forgiving. And as we experience that on a personal level, in our homes and in the church, God is going to do something very special so that He can pour out His Spirit upon us. So I want to challenge you as we start this weekend, if there's someone that you haven't forgiven, tonight's the night. It might mean sending someone an email, giving them a phone call, shooting them a text, whatever it might be. But it's been too long, and you know that tonight's the night to put that behind you. Because God has forgiven us, and we can forgive the way God forgives us. doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to go back to the way that it used to be. If there's been infidelity, or there's been abuse, or things of that nature, you might not even send, them, send someone a message, because they may not be safe to do so. But you can forgive in your heart. And you can know in your heart that you have forgiven that person. And when you reach that point, now God can work in your heart so that you can be a representation of his character to the world. And that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need more theology. It doesn't need more pontification on the finer points of theology. We've done that long enough. What the world needs to see now are people who are forgiving and people who have been changed, and people who are like Jesus. That's what we need. Amen? Let's close with a, with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to be with my family here at Advent Hope. I'm so grateful to be back in Loma Linda this weekend. And I thank you for how you have spoken to us this evening. Forgive us for where we have fallen short. Thank you that you are forgiving, God, and that you are good and ready to forgive. And Lord, help us to be forgiving as you are forgiving. Help us to believe that you can forgive us and that you can change us. And help us to experience your righteous life by faith. Do whatever it takes to humble us so that we will have our glory laid in the dust. And that we will have your righteous character in our lives. Thank you for your blessings to us. And may we be faithful to you. And if there's someone here tonight that needs to take that extra step of offering forgiveness to someone who has hurt them, I just pray that you will give them the grace and the power to move forward in doing so this evening. So thank you that you love us and that you give us us these opportunities. Be with us the rest of these Sabbath hours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.